Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe and share this episode. Share the podcast with anyone that you think would enjoy what we talk about. Today, I have a very exciting guest for you, and it's no coincidence that this is on Women's Equal Pay Day that we bring Raina Boston on. So by day, Raina Boston is a working mother to three children and human resources professional for a consulting firm, and by night or wherever there's margin, she's a writer and the founder of an online community for mothers called The Working Momtras. The Working Momtras is a community designed to help empower moms to resign from doing it all and instead lean into their inherent worth. Utilizing the power of mantras or mantras, stories and connection, the Working Momtras exists to guide moms toward becoming more of who they already are. So you're going to love this conversation that I have with Reina. She is amazing. I learned so much from her, not only from the first time we spoke, but also today. And I'm just really glad that she was able to take time out of her super busy day to speak with us. So make sure you take a listen, share this episode, especially if you know any working parents. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. All right. Well, Reina, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. And I already teased that you were coming on this week in my last week's episode, or technically while we're recording this week's episode, because I'm really excited about what we'll be talking about. But before I jump into all the things that excite me, tell me, how are you? How's everything going? I am good. We, I'm in Florida. We are getting ready for a cold front. It's supposed to be like 39 or something on Saturday, and I'm so looking forward to it. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, well, yeah, you know, as a as a person who really loves a seasonal change and cold weather, I'm like one of those people. I, I'm excited that you're excited. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're about to hit repenting season is what I call it in Florida, where it is just so unbearably hot. Oh. Um, and so I'm soaking up these last couple days of spring. I love it. Or whatever. Whatever that is. Here in Florida. Right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm thinking of you. Thoughts and prayers, I'm telling you. Um, Well, let us jump into these exciting questions and topics that we're going to cover today. I have really been looking forward to this discussion because I've talked, and I think I shared this with you when we first connected, that I've mentioned before some of the, especially through the pandemic, the impact that that uh, that the pandemic and just like the change in work and workplaces has had on parents, working parents, caregivers, all of those, you know, everything that that you can imagine under the sun. And for you as a as a mother, as a working mother, you know, there's no one better to ask these questions of than someone who has lived through it and has experienced these things. And so, you know, By the time this episode launches, it will be Women's Equal Pay Day, which is super fitting because I think we'll we'll talk a little bit about how COVID for sure has had an impact on equal pay and the gender pay gap in general, which is actually where I want to kick us off. So obviously the pay gap is still present. It's very easy to go into the Bureau of Labor Statistics and look at the data behind pay gaps by gender, by race, by 
by age. And, and it's amazing, actually, for anyone who is super interested in statistics, you can go ahead and do that. But with so much focus on equity and equality, why do you think, like from your perspective, why do you think that there is still a pay gap? The, there are two main things. One is that there is a lack of pay transparency. Um, pay is not in job descriptions. We don't know how much our colleagues are paid. Um, and I think that that really creates a breeding ground for there to be discrepancies in pay and for there to be a pay gap in general. Um, and then also there's a motherhood penalty. So anytime you go on leave, that could potentially give employers some reason not to promote you, which impacts pay. Um, people might think that you're not as ambitious because you are deciding to have kids. Any number of things that impact your long-term career trajectory and also your pay. Yeah, this is a good point. You know, in New York, I'm sure you know this too, in New York, starting in April, all job postings, internal and external, will need to show the pay range. And I actually talked about this on a previous episode, kind of sharing some of the things that employers may need to consider as they start to roll this out, because there are for sure employees in in active roles today that are below those ranges, thousand percent. I, I would put money, mm -hmm. honestly. And so companies need to figure out, okay, well, how do we get those people to be within range? Because they should have been in range. Um, but now, you know, putting it out there, what the range is, to your point, should shrink that. But are there any downsides, do you think, to be to having pay transparency? Are there things that organizations need to put in place first, other than making sure everyone's actually within the range? Um, but are there things that you can think of that really need to be those considerations ahead of those legislative changes? I think as much as possible, companies need to be proactive and take a look and see if they can get people to equity ahead of time. Um, maybe not even just you know, the bottom of the range, if that's the case, maybe not even the bottom, just where are they relative to their peers? Yeah. And yes, maybe it's going to cost us a little bit of money, but especially with the great resignation and people leaving to make 20, 30, 40, 50% more, um, you know, it's important to just absorb that cost in the short term, because from my way of thinking, you're going to pay it, whether you're hiring somebody, fixing someone's pay or probably paying more on the open market for somebody who's coming from outside. Totally. And this, it, it makes me think of what you said before around this uh, motherhood penalty. And, you know, I've mentioned on the podcast also that in Canada, mothers or, you know, really, I, I think that there is parental leave that is fairly generous as well, but specifically maternity leave can be a year or more in, in the provinces in Canada and really depending on which province you're in. And that means that not only are, are those mothers missing one full year of raises, they're also, to your point, missing potential promotional opportunities. So when I think about your efforts in really like focusing on equity, focusing on these challenges that businesses need to consider, um, what are some things that companies can do that minimize this penalty and take into consideration that working mothers who are just as ambitious as non-working mothers or fathers, caregivers, et cetera, to ensure that they are not missing those opportunities or at least are made, like, is there a making whole process when they come back? I think 
The number one thing for anybody in this position to really consider is that you don't have the right to make decisions for your employees. You don't have a, a right to determine somebody's level of ambition or mm. um, try and forecast their level of ambition or um, even make prognostications like, well, you know, she just had a baby. So, um, you know, she probably wants to be at home. So Molly Sue should get this promotion. The, all of that needs to stop immediately. Yeah. It's imme like immediately stop and think about <laughs> and think about have a conversation with them about what they want to do and make sure that any conversations, particularly with supervisors or anybody that's in that decision making process, is not going to be biased against working parents um, and particularly working mothers. Um, that that was the main point I would make is that you just have no idea what people want to do. And it's, it's not fair to, to do that. Totally, totally. My older sister has special needs. She has Down syndrome. I've shared this I, for any listener that's been here the, for the majority of the time the podcast has been out there. They could probably tell you exactly this story because I've probably shared it a million times over at this point. But you know, I think about so often how caregivers, especially caregivers of children that have special needs, but also caregivers of parents, um, are are in this gap of being underrepresented, I think, sometimes when it comes to those decisions. For example, when I think about um, different benefits, different options, different opportunities for leave, you know, I have between my my sister and my mom's experience having to work while raising three children, but also a child with special needs. And then I think of friends who have children with special needs as well. There is such a different challenge in returning to work, but also working in general. And so you saying that we can't as businesses assume what's right for one person. This actually makes me think about how I, I have a very close friend who has a child with special needs and she's like, get me out of the house. I need a break. This is the break that I get when he's in school or when he, you know, goes to a, a program, like, even if I have to work remotely, I need that break. I need to have time for myself. And I think, to like, the with the example that you provided, so often there's this assumption that the working parent wants to be at home. And it's like, well, I mean, maybe, but how do you know that unless you're having the conversation? And to segue into the next question that I have for you, I want to share with the listeners something that really stuck with me from our first conversation, which was that you said, the key is to find companies that treat parents well. And it just opened up the floodgates for me with all of these ideas and thoughts about how people can do that. Because whether we're ready to have children today, or we're, if we're even able to have children, there is still a sentiment there that companies that treat parents well are inevitably going to treat you whether you're a parent or not treat you well as well because that's there's an expression there of understanding that there's way more to life than what we're doing at work so how can I guess this is a two-pronged question how can people find companies that treat parents well and two if someone is working for a company that doesn't treat parents so well, but really likes where they work, how can they influence those companies to treat parents better? Those are really good questions. So I'll start with your first one. The first 
answer I would provide is just to take a look at what is the company's paid leave policies. If they do not offer paid leave in the year 2022, there is a problem. Um, I personally think that that is not progressive. And especially in this job market, companies need to be progressive. They need to be forward thinking. They need to be thinking about how to retain talent. And it's by having policies like that that show, hey, we're committed to you. We know that you need to take this time off. That time off to start a family or continue growing your family should not come at a financial penalty. Um, you know, I think that's very important. The other thing that you can do is take a look at those lists. And I think Parents has one, Fortune Magazine, some other organizations, they list the best companies for parents. And, you know, all of them will have paid leave as a benefit. Um, But that's important as well. And I would say even before, you know, even if you're not a parent, how do they treat their employees? Are they having, do they have mental health days? Do they have you know, a sick time policy? Do they have a bereavement policy? How do they treat people like people that have lives outside of work? You know, there are resources like Paid Leave US, like they have proposals, um, the cost benefit analysis of offering leave. There are different things that you can utilize and tools that you can use to help present the best possible case for why we should be offering paid leave um, or why we should add this or that to our our services um, or our benefits package. Um, Did that answer your question? Yeah. Thank you. I think, you know, it's so, it's so wonderful to see how the HR function or the people operations function can really play a huge role in progressing businesses and expanding the offerings. I think it's, I guess gone are the days where we sit by and watch other decision makers tell us what to execute on. I think this is where, you know, Mm -hmm. I challenge everyone consistently throughout the podcast episodes to really challenge the status quo and go beyond what feels like the norm. And that's where, you know, not only we can come into our own and really figure out what our passions are, because the things that we challenge are often the things that we really care about. But then also you can, you know, there's no need to see our jobs as disposable if there's an opportunity for us to really impact the organization. Like I think about um, so often how people are like, you know, I, I don't they I, I don't like that my company doesn't do X, Y or Z. And so I think I'm just going to look for something else. But I just wonder in those moments, like, have you tried? Have you tried to improve not only your experience, but the experience of others? And it's not to say that we all carry the weight of the world on our shoulders because everyone plays a role in how organizations operate and the culture of those organizations. But I can only imagine the magic that would happen if each person saw the opportunities in front of them to make those concerted efforts to improve the lives of the people around them, including themselves, you know? I think that's right. Um, I think the other thing to consider, especially with, you know, we live in a large nation and every state is different, like how they treat their workers. In some states, I think a lot of people are really intimidated by, you know, presenting something and being vulnerable and saying like, hey, it would really make a difference to me if we had a paid leave policy in place. Or, you know, if we expanded our bereavement policy to include miscarriages, that takes some vulnerability. And in certain states, people can feel like their job is on the line or feel like they're being ungrateful. Um, And I think it's hard to advocate for yourself. And I think 
to your point about the influence that human capital or HR people ops can have is that they can really advocate for the people. And there's a real business decision for that, right? You want to retain people. You want to be able to get to know your people so you can see where they would be great in the organization and how they can progress and move the organization forward. But in order to do that, we really have to start treating people like people outside <sighs> of work and like people that have, you know, interest and dreams and families and all of these other things. Like, how can we create space for that? and encourage and applaud and allow for that in the workplace. You said it perfectly. And it actually made me think about how when people are going on these interviews and they're looking for companies that represent the values that they, that they align with or that they want, you know, out of their next company, ask those questions. Like, what are your paid leave options? What, what do you do to support parents in your workforce? And even, I mean, I still think even if, if this is something that you're unable to do slash um, not in the position to pursue today in terms of like having a family or starting a family because not everyone is is going to be able to or be in a position to have a family. But I do think, you know, we've come around to this already a couple of times that organizations that have these really thoughtful built out policies for parents, caregivers, um, et cetera, uh, that they are going to intrinsically treat their employees better because they have this people-centric approach, not only to their policies, but to their culture, because it, it comes from somewhere. I mean, obviously, policies are so top-down in some ways and also HR-specific, but if a company is already going beyond the scope of what a state offers, then that's you know that shows you that there's way more to life at that workplace than just work. So I love 100%, that. 100%. 100%. We're going to have to broadcast this from every satellite in the world. <laughs> Do you hear us businesses? Like your paid leave options show people how you treat people, period. And, you know, it's I, I actually I know I didn't um, share this as a topic point, but it makes me think about something that I've experienced uh, in the last few years, which is that I heard uh, an executive basically mention that they didn't want to roll out like a, I think it was like a miscarriage specific policy it was something specific to, you know, trying to have family and, and parental leave expansion. And they basically said um, that it didn't feel like it was the right benefit because not everyone would be able to take part in this benefit. And in that moment, I wasn't totally equipped with all of the pieces and tools to kind of express why I didn't agree with that stance, so to speak. Um, but I want to hear from you, like how, because I'm sure that that executive is not the only person approaching benefits from that perspective, um, thinking that that's equity, because actually that, that's, to me, that's not equity. That's just dis disabling people who need more resources potentially. Um, mm -hmm. And, but I'd love to hear from you what your thoughts are around that, that perspective. I think that we can get so caught up in like, I don't, fairness isn't even the right word. Mm. It's this group of people is benefiting or has some perceived advantage. And it's not always true. And I think it's really incumbent on companies also to think like, well, okay, well, if you're concerned about that, 
what are you doing for people who don't have kids? Do you offer yeah. sabbaticals for people after a certain amount of time that with the company? Um, that would be an equitable way to say, hey, we value all of the work that you put in here and also value that, you know, you need something on top of your vacation time because yeah. we all need breaks to recharge. Um, you know, companies could even offer pet insurance for people who are dog and cat moms. Like, yeah. To, to me, I'm just like, this is a failure of creative thinking. Mm -hmm. Like you need to just maybe it's not the policy that's the problem. It's that you need to expand the offerings that you benefits offerings to your employees and touch on things that maybe you haven't even thought of. Yes, yes. And, you know, I, I wish if only I had spoken with you before that moment, because I felt, you know, when you walk away from a conversation sometimes and you you're like, oh, I, I should have said X, Y, or Z. I walked away yeah. in that moment thinking like, man, if I had just said, like, listen, not every benefit is going to apply to every single person. Just like tuition reimbursement for for someone who already has a master's degree is not going to apply to them. But that doesn't mean that you don't offer it. Um, and I agree with you that it, it is a lapse in, in creative thinking and also potentially a little bit of a lapse in critical thinking because, you know, inherently there are, there are going to be benefits that don't apply to some groups of people. But as long as there are, you know, benefit offerings that are comprehensive for, for everyone, um, then I think that that is, that is intrinsic in solving for a problem that actually probably doesn't exist. And, and to your, to your point on, on really like making things not too fair, but just like thinking about this in the wrong way. I, I think that, that companies that are focused so much on, um, you know, making everything balanced and what if this, if we do this, then what about that? And the, and not keeping it simple to, well, you know, this group of people may just need more resources for this specific moment in their lives. Like, that's okay. That no one's, I can't imagine that's, that someone is going to say there shouldn't be miscarriage benefits. Like, why would, why would someone say that? You know, why would someone say, know. That, you know, so it's like, you're doing too much. Just keep it simple <laughs> and offer the things that make sense that you can do. You're doing too much and not enough at the <laughs> same time. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> honestly, teach me more. These are the things that keep me up at night. Okay. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to say. Um, amazing. Well, I just want to wrap up in this, uh, this idea and perspective around, again, how, employees who are either in decision-making positions or not, how they can, you know, make an impact tomorrow. What are some conversation starters? I know we kind of touched on this a little bit before, but if we were to say to a listener, like, hey, this is something, maybe it's not even related to pay or parental leave. Maybe it's something totally separate and something important to them. What is a conversation starter to open up that dialogue, especially if they feel like there's a there is psychological safety in their organization and they can bring, you know, any of these topics to light. What is that conversation starter look like? And what are some things that tomorrow a listener can do to really improve the, the lifestyle and the benefits and the offerings that their organization has? So this is a great question. I have not actually had to do this before, but there is an episode of the double shift podcast that, features people who campaigned and worked really hard to get paid leave at their organizations. And I think that's a great place to start. First of all, there's strength in numbers. So if it's not just you, 
and you can show that there's a few people who feel strongly about it um, and talk about the business case and, and why that is. And also, I think to your point about like, well, paid leave can often focus on parents. But like what we don't talk about is not only do parents need leave, but people often take time off for themselves. Like if they are having a health condition or issue and they need that time. Um, but also you could have caregiver leave to take care of, you know, we already know that we're going to have sick kids. We're going to yeah. perhaps have parents that are ill and or a spouse. And you need to be able to jump in and do that and not worry about your job and getting paid at the same time. Yeah. Um, so really expanding that leave to not just parents, but also caregivers and making sure it's equitable. If you're thinking about parental leave, um, you know, paternity leave. So like a policy that includes both birthing and non-birthing people. Um, yeah. But to get back to your question, really just have strength in numbers, I would say. And then if you have the relationship with your human resources um, person, um, whatever that looks like, to just be able to say, here's the business case for this. Here's why I think that we should have this. And it, you know, there is an impact to the bottom line. And it's not just the cost of the benefit. It is how many more people are we going to retain with these kinds right. of policies who feel, who develop a sense of loyalty to the organization because they felt like they were valued as human beings first and not a widget. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like don't, don't make me just a widget, please. That would, that would <laughs> deflate me. No, this is, this is so, so much uh, food for thought. And I really appreciate what you're saying. And and I think that the listeners will really resonate with this too, because so many listeners are really starting their HR careers off. And and I think that if you can, any listener, whether you've you've been in your role for ten years or not, or or just like five months, if you can start this habit of really like building a case behind things and understanding the the qualitative and the quantitative, you are going to get so far so fast because I think, and I'm sure that you experience this too, especially considering the role and, and the company that you work for, that when you have the data to back up your perspective and the perspective of others, whether it's surveys or, you know, research that you've done through other um, products or companies, like that, that data helps to tell your story and it helps you when it comes down to the business case to really assert things that don't feel opinionated and that feel more like fact and you can't mm -hmm. I mean there is no arguing with fact when you have numbers behind your feelings and opinions and and perspective like that is where you are going from like a you know someone who has brings up ideas to someone who brings up and executes on solutions. So I feel like that is such worthy advice for everyone listening to this episode. So thank you so much for bringing that up because we all have ideas, but we have to put actions behind those ideas and really understand what it's going to take to get them to be the solution. So thank you so much. I'd even add that, you know, 75% of people do not have access to paid leave. So do you want to give a truly exceptional experience and be in the 25% that does offer that? Or do you just want to be like everybody else? What is distinguishing you if you just want to be like the 75% that get nothing or offer nothing to their oh employees? God. I just got the chills from that legitimately. That's amazing. Like, don't be the 75%.
be the 25% of companies that make the experience amazing. I did not yeah. know that statistic. Wow. Yeah, it's something like 75% of people do not have any access wow. to paid leave. Wow. I couldn't imagine. I, I don't know how, I just couldn't imagine. There's so many things we know life throws you curveballs whenever it decides. And to then have to deal with that on top of figuring out where your income and how you're going to, where your income comes from and how you're going to pay your bills. That's, that's a whole other ball game. So I hope for everyone's sake, we can all work for that 25% of organizations, or at least start to make the 25%, the 75, you know, make those, the, right. make it so that 75% of people have access to paid leave through their companies. That's right. I yeah. love it. I love it. Well, Raina, thank you so much for joining me today and for offering all of your wisdom. I mean, I obviously learned a lot. I just, you, you've awoken my, my spirit to the understanding and realizations of like the work that has to go into advancing and elevating these options and offerings for employees. And if the government's not going to do it, then the businesses have to. So you know, let's rally and, and get it together. I love that. So thank you so much. I would love to give you the floor to let everyone know where everyone can connect with you and learn more about what you do. Sure. So I am on Instagram primarily on my handle is the working mantras. So mantra kind of like mantra. Um, and I primarily talk about working mom issues. I talk about politics. I talk about all those things that impact how we parent and how we work and parent. Um, and I also have a website, which is just theworkingmomtress.com. Amazing. And I will link all of that. So it's super easy for all of the listeners to just click and connect. So, so thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here.